seven strangers, does that not make you a serial killer? I didn't kill them every day, did I? Did I go out there every day and say, hmm, I'm going to kill them? If I did, there well, would be hundreds. Well, no, it took you 12 months. Then he rings up Rex again, and that's when I looked at him and I started sobbing. If I had shot my own children, would I not have done a good job of it? Because, you know, first of all, women generally don't commit crimes this heinous. Right. Uh, you know, this is usually the domain of men. That's unfortunate. Hey, Gabe. Hey, Danny. How are you doing? Pretty good. Fully vaccinated. Looking forward to starting up martial arts once again. Might even go tonight. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, we'll see when this is over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but how are you doing? Good, good. I am also fully vaccinated, but I don't have anything exciting that I'm going to do. I have a very long episode. I'm going to try to go fast, just talk, speed read, speed talk. Um, I'm just kidding, but it's a crazy one. It's actually one that you sent me and told me to do. Oh, good. Keep in mind, I don't actually know what these women did. I was just going off of very different metrics. Yeah. Yeah. So he sent, Gabe sent me like a list of names and I just chose one. I was like, fine, I'll do a name you said. So I did, and this is what we get. You ready? Right. Yeah. Well, are you at least excited about it you, now that you know the story? Kind of. It's one of these couple killer ones, and I don't know why, but these ones, like, get to me more. Like, the Ken and Barbie killer got to me, probably because they just, like, I don't know, do such terrible things, like, together. Like, they, mm-hmm. you'll see. It's, it's something. Um <laughs> All right. Here we well, go. That, that's what therapy's for. <laughs> yeah. Can't afford that, but yeah. <laughs> so her name's Myra Hindley, and she is called the most hated woman in Britain. So we're going to overseas here. She was born on July 23rd, 1942 in England. Her dad was an alcoholic who beat her, and he was actually part of the parachute regiment during World War II. And this is like an airborne group that is part of the British army. And they would drop the soldiers from the air and they would go down in parachutes to like places that were hard to reach. And, and he was known as like a hard ass in the army. And he brought that back home with him and It wasn't a good home life. They had like a dilapidated house with only one usable bedroom. So Myra slept in the bedroom with her parents. But when she was five, four or five, it was in 1946, her parents had a second baby, a little girl that they named Maureen. And since there just like wasn't any room, they're like, okay, how about you go live with your grandma who kind of lives close by? She lives like a couple blocks away. And then we can keep the baby here. It was just like a thing. And so Myra did, she was still like with her parents, but she lived with her grandma. As Myra got older, her dad expected her to act like a soldier and a man by never crying and dealing with her own problems. So for example, she was bullied once as a kid and she went to her dad and crying and her dad was like, you have to retaliate or I'm gonna beat you because this is the only way you're gonna learn. (laughs) So she goes and she beats up the bully and like breaks his tooth 
and her dad congratulates her and tells her she did good. And so this was an interesting quote kind of to go into how this could affect her psychologically. Malcolm McCulloch is a professor of forensic psychology at Cardiff University, and he wrote, Hinley's relationship with her father brutalized her. She was not only used, uh, not only used to violence at her home, but rewarded for it outside. When this happens at a young age, it can distort a person's reaction to such situations in life. So despite her home life, Myra did end up as a decent student with some close friends, one of which was named Michael, Michael Higgins. And in 1957, Michael invites Myra to go swimming and she declines. Myra was a really good swimmer, but she just like wasn't feeling it. She didn't want to go. We all get that, I think. And Michael ends up dying in a freak accident by drowning. And this hits Myra really, really hard. She thinks like, if I had been there, I'm a really good swimmer. I could have saved him. And she blames herself. She naturally starts to turn to religion around this point. And even with religion, she ends up dropping out of school at around age 17 and ends up getting a job as a clerk. At the same time, she gets engaged, but ends it because she realizes that he would not be able to give her the future she wanted. She kind of thought like, if she married this guy, she considered him kind of immature. She would end up like her parents maybe, and she didn't want that. And she also, this is a fun fact I put in here just for you, Gabe. She also began to take judo lessons as a hobby. That's a pretty cool hobby to pick up. Yeah. Well, nobody actually wanted to participate with her because she was like too rough and like held them too long instead of releasing when they asked to be released. Oh, that is, that is a big no-no in grappling martial arts. Yep. So, <laughs> and, um... January of 1961, she's 18 or 19 at this point. She was born in July, so she must be 18. She gets a job as a typist. So she left her clerk job, now she's a typist, moving up in the world. Maybe, I don't know. I assume it's above a clerk. She immediately notices 23-year-old Ian Brad Brady Bradley. Oh, shit. I only wrote his name once. So she immediately notices 23-year-old Ian Brady and becomes infatuated with him. He's clean cut, he's got manicured nails, he's dressed well, and he had been born to a single mother and she eventually gave him up after being unable to care for him. And he was super smart. He did have a previous arrest record. It seems like it was mostly like breaking and stealing stuff, breaking into places and stealing stuff. And he was well read. He read all about Hitler and Nazism for fun. And just Myra couldn't stop thinking about him. Yes, Gabe, you heard me right. He read about Hitler. <laughs> you, 
<laughs> well, I, I'm trying to understand if you read about Hitler as a student of history, who was fascinated by the rise and fall of the Nazi regime, or if he was like, wow, this guy's got some good ideas. <laughs> we'll get into that. Okay. So Myra would constantly try to like please him and make him notice her and he did begin to notice her and he started to introduce her to those Hitler readings and movies and other questionable uh, things <laughs> and she surprised him with how open she was by reading these things and how thoroughly she read his recommendations and she even ended up bleaching her hair blonde and trying to emulate the whole Aryan perfection thing. So that answers your question there. And in 1963, this is the same year they got together, like maybe a month after knowing, getting together, they slept together and it was weird and disturbing and it was Myra's first time as well and just two months after meeting Ian requested that Myra stop attending church and she's like yeah I love you I'll do that that's totally reasonable and then Ian eventually moves in with Myra and Myra's grandma and in a letter for her parole hearing, Myra, she wrote this. Within months, he had convinced me that there was no God at all. He could have told me that the earth was flat, the moon was made of green cheese, and the sun rose in the west. I would have believed him. So she was uh, in it pretty deep. And... <laughs> They began to daydream together about robbing banks and they would come up with these like heists together and Myra even got her driver's license to be a getaway driver. And sorry, my hair is bothering me. So after discussing the bank robberies, they end up realizing like, you know what? How about can we go further? What about the perfect murder? And they start talking about murder instead. And they come up with a plan. So the plan is Ian would follow Myra on his motorcycle and she would be in her car and he would flash his lights at her when he spotted a victim that he liked. And so they go out and they try this and he first signals when he saw a young girl, but Myra doesn't stop because she's like, it's my mom's neighbor like we're too close and we could be linked as suspects and he next flashes his lights at a 16 year old pauline reed so pauline was actually a schoolmate of myra's younger sister so myra's like okay that's like far enough from me that it's okay so myra pulls over and she pretends to have lost a super expensive glove and Pauline, who has previously seen Myra with her younger sister at school, is like, oh, this is obviously somebody I can trust. And she's like, oh, of course I'll help you look for your glove. And Myra's like, I'm pretty sure I lost it at the Moors. It's like this place. We'll talk about it more. 
So they get into the car and they go to the Saddle Worth Moor. And Myra warns Pauline, she's like, hey, there's going to be a guy there too. He's also helped me, helping me with the search. So they get there, they get to the moor, and Myra says she waits by the car while Ian takes Pauline away. And I'm going to like give a little, little warning here. Like this story, I should have done this at the beginning, has child abuse and rape and all that stuff. I'm not going to go super into it because I know a lot of people actually don't like that. But I'll mention what happens. So Myra says that Ian takes Pauline and he rapes her and then he takes a knife and he tries to cut her throat and he doesn't seem like he can because he cuts it a second time and it goes through her vocal cords and she's pr pretty close to being decapitated. But Ian says, Myra didn't wait by the car. She came with me. She was with me the whole time. She helped me hold down Pauline. We don't know what happened, but in the end, Pauline's dead and Ian and Myra dig a grave and bury her. So that was June of 1963. In November of 1963, they're like, let's do it again. So they are driving and they see a young 12-year-old John Kilbird and they choose him. Myra asks John to help her with some boxes and then she's like hey like thank you so much for your help do you want to ride home and he's like oh yeah why not so Ian is hiding in the back of the car because he's a man you know and John gets in the car and Myra locks the doors and drives them to Saddleworth Moor and Ian pops out he pulls John out of the car takes him away where he rapes him and tries to cut his throat, but ends up having to strangle him with some kind of thin wire. It could have been like a shoelace or an electrical cord or something. So they then bury John and celebrate by drinking and taking pictures on his grave together. Then in June of 1964, so this is like seven months later. They had like a cooling off period, but now they're ready to do it again. Now, keep in mind this whole entire time they're doing this, they have their normal day jobs. So it's like a extracurricular thing they're doing. So in June of 1964, they spot 12 year old Keith Ben, either Bennett or Benet who had just left his parents and he was walking to his grandparents to see to see them who live a few blocks away. Myra lures Keith into her car and <laughs> locks the doors and drives him to Saddleworth Moor. It's like they have a very simple pattern. Ian then sexually assaults Keith and rapes him and then strangles him. And I guess he gave up on the whole cutting their throat. He then, duh, they both dig a grave and Ian 
or Myra, somebody takes a picture of Keith in the grave, dead. So around this time, police began to think that Keith and John may be linked, the two victims, because they're both 12-year-old boys who only disappeared like six or seven months apart, which is pretty weird at that time, and in the same neighborhood. But they're not connecting Pauline to it at all at this point because she was a 16-year-old girl who had disappeared previously. So after Keith's murder, the last victim, Ian and Myra began to hang out with Myra's sister, Maureen, and her new husband, David. So David has a prior record, and they had only gotten married because Maureen got pregnant. And... Nobody in the family liked David, in Maureen's family, liked David, and they didn't support them. But Myra and Ian are like, you know what? We'll support you. We'll hang out with you. We're such good people. And Ian ends up being really impressed by David's ability to come up with... (laughs) He has a thing. He's really impressed with David's ability to come up with ways to plan bank robberies. And how David talked about, like, wealth and stuff like that. He just like overall impressed Ian. In December of 1964, they once again go on the hunt and decide to escalate things. They want to bring the next victim home with them so they can have more time, more privacy, that kind of thing. But also it's more risky because they're not out in this huge plot of land where nobody ever goes. So, and people could hear screams, that kind of thing. So it's almost like they're having to escalate to keep the whatever reason they want to do this, like that feeling they get, they're bringing it to the next level. So Myra is like, okay, we got to get my grandma out of the way. So she takes her to a family member's house and is like, grandma, you can't come home until I come get you. And so then... While she's doing that, Ian gets the house ready and he gets like plastic sheets and that kind of thing. And Ian and Myra go to something called the fun fair. I assume it's like a carnival type thing. Like, you know, yeah. Sort of. I mean, I imagine it's one of those like smaller town carnivals. Yes. With like little rides and. Yeah. 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 Perfect. So they go there and they're like spotting out and they see an 11-year-old Leslie Ann Downey who's roaming around alone. So it turns out she had been dropped off by I think her brother or her mom or somebody and she's going to be picked up later. So Myra, sneaky, she pretends to be carrying a lot and she accidentally drops it all while in front of Leslie. And Leslie is really nice and kind, and she helps her pick up the stuff. And Myra's like, hey, would you be able to help me carry things to my car? I don't want to drop these again. That was really embarrassing. So Leslie goes, she helps Myra, and then Myra's like, hey, I can give you a ride home because I really appreciate you helping me. And Myra manages to convince Leslie to get inside the car and drives her to Myra's house where Ian is waiting. So once Myra gets Leslie inside, 
Ian and Myra tie her up, they undress her, and they take pictures of her, and they tape record like a videotape, not video, like a um, audio only recording of them torturing and raping Leslie. And I didn't listen to the tape, but I read that they played really loud Christmas music in the background so that the neighbors wouldn't hear. So that's disturbing. Was it Christmas time? Yeah, it was December of 1964. So once they get done torturing and raping her, Myra says Ian then strangles Leslie and Ian says Myra strangles Leslie and they then clean up and drive Leslie's body to Saddleworth Manor. Sorry, more. It's not a manor. And they bury her. They each then pose for pictures of each other standing on the grave and posing and all this stuff. And then in October of 1965, this is like almost 10 months later, So, in October of 1965, they go back on the hunt, and Ian, this time, is like, hey, like, I'm gonna lure the victim. I want some fun times, I guess. I don't know. I don't, I'm not a psychopath. So then Ian lures the next victim, and Myra waits in the car. Ian says that he lured 17-year-old Edward to his car by a promise of sex and a good time. And he tells Edward that Myra is his sister who is driving because he's like, hey, I'm single. I'm a single guy who's into you. And then Edward goes to the car and he's like, who's this woman? And Ian's like, she's my sister. She's just the driver. It's fine. So... They get to the house and they settle in and then Ian pours drinks and then Ian tells Myra to go get David, who is Myra's sister's husband. So her brother-in-law? Yeah. So apparently they just need to keep escalating the things. So they're like, next we want to bring in somebody else to our weird little creepy cult I don't know not a cult but like creepy murder thing and David (laughs) oh my god he walks in and he sees Ian clubbing Edward with a hatchet and murdering him and David's like holy crap and he pretends to be chill with it and he helps them clean up And as he makes an excuse to leave, he's like, wait, I have a way we can get the body out of here because it was heavy because previously they had murdered kids. And he leaves. And as soon as he can get away, he calls the police and he's like, guys, (laughs) oh, my God. And the police come and they find. So the first they find a locked bedroom. And Myra's like, oh, the key's at work. I don't have it. And they're like, okay, we'll go with you to work to get it. And Ian's like, just unlock it. (laughs) Like, they're going to figure it out. So they unlock it and find Edward's body. And they immediately arrest Ian. 
So Myra is arrested four days later, and while she's still free, she definitely got rid of some evidence. Um, there, she like burned something for sure. Nobody really knows what it is, and who knows what else she did. But police are able to find key pieces of evidence, like the tape recordings they made of Leslie, which are really sad. She was also screaming for her mom. Uh, There was pictures of Leslie while they were doing things to her. They found John's name written in like an exercise book, like scribbled, like they wanted to remember his name for later or something. And there's also pictures of them standing over various grave sites in the moors. So, like I said, four days later, after Ian's arrested, Myra is arrested, and the police do an extensive search of the moor. And they find Leslie and John. uh, The pictures of them standing over graves helped a lot because they're able to, like, use those to kind of pinpoint where they were and then so that was in 1965 they find Leslie and John and they don't find Pauline until 1987 that's like 20 something years later 19 there you go yeah and then so the trial lasts 14 days Ian is sentenced to three terms of life imprisonment and Myra gets two terms of life imprisonment plus seven years. And Ian later confesses that they also killed Pauline Reed and Keith. So they kind of suspected it, but with Ian's confession, they were really able to because at that point they hadn't found Pauline's body. And in 1987, Myra admits to helping with all five murders, but says she did not participate. The chief superintendent named, his name was Topping. He was there for her confession, and he described it as if he had witnessed a great performance rather than a genuine confession. And he says that he doubts that he heard anything more than she wanted him to hear. Ian died in prison at age 79 of restrictive pulmonary disease, and then Myra died at age 60 of either a heart attack or pneumonia, whatever one killed her first, I don't know, because each article says something different. But (laughs) those are the more murders. And I hated that one. Thanks, Gabe. I, I got to say, I'm a fan of that name. More murders. Come on. that That's murder level wordplay. <laughs> that is true. But it's just so. Why do couple killings always involve children? That's a really good question. And one I wish I had the answer to. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty that don't involve kids, but just the two we've done too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it just is brutal. That was a particularly bad one. Yeah. What a uh, sick pair, the two of them. 
and good on David for having the presence of mind, mind to walk into that situation and realize, okay, I got to play it cool or they could hurt me, you know, just be cool with this, offer to help them uh-huh. and then call the cops. Yes. Um, but yeah, just, just to sort of bring, now that it's become a bit of a, a, a little pattern, the last couple of episodes, the, the type, the serial killer typologies, uh-huh. I, I think unsurprisingly, they both fall underneath the hedonistic category, which are those who commit murder for their own personal pleasure. So this could be rape, torture, or financial pleasure, such as money. Yeah, they definitely didn't get any money or anything from this, though, which is interesting because it's almost, I don't know, because he was so obsessed with like robbing a bank and society like high society and stuff it's like you're gonna kill people for no monetary gain like you can do better oh if that's not the right way to word that but like <laughs> it doesn't make sense like why yeah i kept waiting for the because you mentioned bank robberies so often i kept waiting for the part where you know after they killed these kids they decided to go rob a bank it was almost like his weird way of like weeding people out like seeing how they would react to that question if people were like, what do you mean rob a bank and act like a normal person? He would be like, you're not in my club. But if they were like, ooh, let's think about this, then he'd be like, okay, we'll go to the next level, which is Hitler stuff. So. <laughs> yeah. Even that, uh, maybe because of the times that was the case, but bank robbers, from what I know, tend to be pretty intelligent at least relative to the average criminal Hmm. so maybe he wasn't smart enough to rob a bank yeah plus i from what again from what i've heard thinking back to just i guess rumors or things i heard in my classes if you go to prison for robbing a bank and you didn't really kill anyone it tends to be a pretty respected crime because it's seen as almost victimless since the money tends to be insured anyway by the government Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if that, I mean, it, it clearly worked for him, but I don't know if today that would be the question you would ask people to gauge their level of Nazism or child murdering. I mean, I don't know if you should do it back then either. It was a stupid question. It was just like his little thing. Hey, but... hey those were the 60s. It was a crazy time. <laughs> you know, anything went. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. But it was the same year as what's what's that what's that thing that happened with music that everybody always brings up in 69? I have no idea. Oh my gosh. What the hell? They're always like the, is it Woodstock? Oh, you like the festival. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was Woodstock. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. I brought there's no reason to bring that up. But yeah, people yeah. Were, <laughs> it was sorry. a thing. <laughs> when you when you said thing that happened with music, I, I thought you meant like some kind of maybe a new genre was introduced or or some famous musician died. Yeah. I, I, didn't, oh. I didn't know you meant the, the yeah, Woodstock. Um, also, Keith's body was never found. And it's really sad. His mom spent her entire life trying to find it. And then she passed away. And now her son, Keith's brother, is trying to find the body. But since it was never found, there's like some speculation. Like, what if there's other victims we don't know about? 
who haven't been found. So there is that too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would hope it's easy to figure out if there are other victims though. Then again, if they were runaways, that would be. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, there was missing children during that time in that area. So you just right. don't know. But there was those weird like months where they didn't do it. Like one of them was like almost 10 months where they didn't do anything. And another one was six or seven. Yeah. I, I wonder a little bit why they took these long breaks in or a way it, it helped them because it was right. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> But yeah, no, it did help make it more difficult to find them. Right. Yeah. But also, I mean, I, I guess I can't argue too much with the results in terms, since more what I mean is they talked about committing the perfect crime mm-hmm. and they certainly got away with it up until they invited over a family member. Yeah. But, but it seems a bit sloppy. Yes. <laughs> They're not, they're not good at it. They're really not. They dug these shallow ass graves and uh, it was just, yeah, they're not good at it. That's my opinion of this killer. These killers, they could have done better. Also Myra, sorry, Myra. That's correct. Yeah. Myra. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You got me pulling a Danny moment where it's like, wait a second. (laughs) I know I say the name wrong name all the time. But yeah. Oh, and then, okay. So Myra had a dog. It was named, I think, Puppet. And she had one when she was a puppy. And in some of the pictures of her on graves, the dog was like small and like puppy-like. And then other ones, it was older. This is really sad. They tried to put the dog under anesthesia to like see the teeth and get an accurate age to try and like figure out how long apart the murders were and like the pictures taken. And I guess the dog had like some unknown problem. And when he was put under anesthesia, he just, he passed away and Myra flipped out. I guess she like loved that dog and took it everywhere. And that was the whole thing. Just a little random fun fact for you. Just more death, death everywhere. I mean, that happened to one of our dogs. His name was Yater. We had him when I was in middle school and he was only seven. He was an Australian shepherd. He went in for like something. What was it? Teeth cleaning or something. And he had like a unknown heart murmur or something. And he just like passed away when he was put under anesthesia. Wow. That's just bad luck. Very sad. Yeah. I feel bad for the dog, but not really for Myra in that situation. Oh yeah, for sure. So I'm kind of short on things to say here. Yeah. (laughs) This episode is probably already like 40 minutes. (laughs) I went through the seven pages really fast. Yeah. That that, that didn't feel any longer than usual. I know. I think I read them a lot faster though. And I didn't go into as much detail as I could have on purpose. So yeah. Yeah. Well, how, how, how graphic were those rapes or those murders, I should say? Um, well, I'll tell you some of the things they did to each other so you can to each other what they would do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I briefly talked about that when I was the, the first time they had sex. Right. Uh, there, so Myra kept diaries and in her diary, she talked about it and 
it's like iffy if it was even consensual because she never really gave the okay but she never like she didn't really seem to understand I don't know even how to describe it but anyways yeah I don't think she was ever diagnosed with anything but Ian was diagnosed as a with the psychopathy not terribly surprising yeah so there's that I do wonder if women, much like with autism, if women have an easier time hiding that sort of thing. Oh, that'd be so interesting. Yeah, because women do seem better. uh, Able to blend in. Yeah, whether it's by conditioning or nature, you know, nature nurture. But Mm -hmm. yeah, women seem better at blending in. Very interesting. Oh, that brings me back. Speaking of, of nurture, that brings me back to her dad who was himself a fascinating and well-adjusted man. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And look, like like with anything else, some of the way he was, he was also a product of of his upbringing, right? I'm sure his parents weren't, or his dad in particular wasn't great. And he was also a military man, which isn't, it's not controversial to say based on uh, a number of, I, I listen to a couple of podcasts with former servicemen. Podcasts? We don't listen to those. No. What Sorry, I should say fun. is I listen to clips of podcasts <laughs> no, that, no, have, no, that have certain <laughs> military. Joke. No, no, I know, okay, but but, yeah, yeah. but this is more accurate. Okay. Because who has time to listen to all these podcasts? I know. But, you know, they, they will say, yeah, like hazing has gotten less bad in the military. Huh. I mean, hell, even in frats. Uh-huh. Like just just hazing as, as in terms of how bad it used to be, yeah, we're not we're not there anymore, which is good, you know. And it, this is this isn't everywhere. Not everywhere is caught up, but yeah, I'm sure he had his own things Issues. he had to deal with. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like his his way of thinking, no doubt, was a survival mechanism. Yeah, but it I always excuse thought excuse it though. No, it doesn't excuse yeah. it. But it but isn't I, the thought, yeah. Right, but I always thought one of the few perks a young girl would have in that time the 50s was that she wouldn't be expected to do that sort of thing (laughs) but if you you know like if you get bullied you have to hit them back or i will beat you beat you up you know and i thought the quote from the psychologist was really interesting about how that could really have impacted her ability to like how it could distort a person's reaction to like violence later in life so it could almost normalize it like anything else i don't want to make that an excuse for her since there are plenty of people who are raised that way and don't yeah kidnap children but yeah that can mess with your ability to to know what is right so i think like i think that if myra had not met ian she probably would have not ended up murdering and doing stuff like that but I think she'd always have been a little off and wonky and meeting Ian just really escalated like the darkest parts of her yeah that's a pretty good point one that I one that I did not see mm-hmm. oh you don't agree no no I, I'm, just saying, I'm just saying I didn't see it I did oh. not see that coming Oh my gosh, you're making a Nazi joke. Oh my gosh. I was like, am I missing something? What do you mean you didn't see it? Am I making a wild claim? No, you're making a pun. (laughs) Uh, 
Yes. <laughs> it was very surprising. I'm not going to humor you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can end on that note. That's already the high point. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> thanks for that game. <laughs> thanks for listening. I hope this was a decent episode. <laughs> Follow us on Instagram and give us a rating, preferably a good one. Oh, we have ratings now? I don't know. And thanks. Yeah. Thank you.